Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, boxing fans around the world. We got a very exciting weekend, like I told you last weekend, of boxing events. I would argue these are, you should not miss any of these. If you are a boxing fan or you call yourself one, you don't want to miss any of these. First, let me get the particulars out of the way. Of course, combattalkradio.net is the site. If you have others that would see value in the coverage that we do, please do just send them to combattalkradio.net where they can learn about us. Of course, we are only on YouTube at this point. And then they can subscribe to the channel directly from the site if they like what they hear. I think we do a good job of not being like some of the other ones, like the LDBC, quote-unquote, neutral coverage from a boxing fan to other boxing fans. So again, that's CombatTalkRadio.net. Let's go ahead and get into our weekend of boxing here. And then I got some updates for you for the show. At the top, on Showtime Pay-Per-View, Fight TV if you're in the UK, happening at 8 p.m. Pacific tomorrow. Errol the Truth Spence Jr. fighting Yardanius Ugas and people are trashing this fight and I don't know why and I assume they're not fans because this is an exciting fight you do not want to miss folks. I think Ugas's record is getting in the way. People are looking at the record and thinking he's not a good fight or a good match and shouldn't be champion. Yardanius Ugas has given everybody hard work every single time he's in the freaking ring. He arguably beat Sean Porter in 2019 for my eyes. I had him beating Sean Porter seven rounds to five. He beat Manny Pacquiao on 11 days notice, folks. This guy is not to be underestimated. Errol Spence Jr. is the best at 147. I'm going to go into why I have some beef about what this fight turned out being here in a second, but let me just break down. Errol Spence Jr. has wins over four top five welterweights. At the time he beat Kell Brook over in Sheffield on Kell Brook's home turf, Kell Brook was a top five welterweight. Errol Spence stops him. Unfortunately, the media and certain hardcores hyped Mikey Garcia when he went to 147 when he was undefeated as a top five welterweight. Spence dominated him. Mikey didn't win a round, fist pumping though he was. That's a top five welterweight because the media said he was. I didn't agree it, but it is what it is. Errol Spence Jr. beats Sean Porter for the WBC welterweight title. It was a close fight. Spence gets the drop. That's the real linchpin. The bottom line is Spence gets his hand raised against a top five welterweight in Sean Porter, and then gets the car accident and comes back off the car accident, fights Danny Swift Garcia, another top five welterweight at the time, arguably watches him eight rounds to four. Errol Spence Jr. has wins over four top five welterweights. He is number one in the division. I don't give a damn what the ring has to say about it. And here I'll get to that in a second. Jordanius Ugas on the other side has given everybody hard work he's been in the ring with. Errol Spence is not going to have an easy night against this guy. I don't see that. I see that this is going to be tough for Spence. And we're going to need to see some adaptation from Spence in his game. And I suspect we'll see this. If I'm advising Spence, I'm telling Spence, go to the body on Ugas. Beat the body like you did against Carlos Ocampo. Don't try to headhunt Ugas because Ugas seems to excel when guys try to attack his head. I don't know why that is. We saw it against Manny Pacquiao. Every time Manny would throw that combo to try to come in, Ugas just took the fire and then threw a shot to Manny to get him to reset over and over again. Will that happen to Spence? No. I'm saying that Ugas seems stylistically to excel when people are attacking him upstairs. But I think Spence has enough in his body work to make Ugas respect him more than he would off the jump. So I expect this fight's going to be, Ugas is going to have some really solid moments early. I think Spence is going to make the adjustments. I like to see him go to the body because normally my head tells me this is going to go to a decision. I think it's going to be a close decision or 8-4 for Spence. I hope not. I hope that Spence is able to do enough 
to stop Ugas or knock him out. I just am skeptical he can, but I'm hoping he does to send a statement. For those that don't know, I'll repeat it again. Ugas arguably beat Sean Porter in 2019. Ugas dominated Jamal James when nobody thought that he could. Okay, and then Ugas beat Crawford in the amps. Put all that together, and your Danius Ugas is a solid, solid fighter that I think people are underestimating, and that's unfair to him, and it's unfair to you if you're a real fan to sit there and say that Ugas doesn't have a chance. Ugas has a hell of a chance. Ugas has a very solid chance. Do I strongly think that Ugas is able to beat Errol Spence? My head tells me no. My head tells me that, unfortunately, Spence is going to be too much for Ugas just because it's Spence. However, Ugas could very well go in there and prove me absolutely wrong, and I hope he does. I truly hope that the guy is able to pull it out and, you know, shock the world because what that's going to do is it's going to set up a great fight against Terrence Crawford for full unification at some point in the future. Now, here's my issue. Here's what I got as a problem with the situation with Crawford. As we know, Crawford, to use Spence's term, can't sell out a family dinner. So we know that. Crawford can't sell. Ugas can't sell on his own either. The fight with Pacquiao did not sell big numbers. So if you put Crawford in there against Jordanius Ugas, we're not going to see a very exciting fight. And so I'm not sure that it moves the needle for me. I would like to see something happen where Crawford gets in with either Keith Once Upon a Time Thurman or Adrian Broner, somebody who can help hype Crawford as worthy, quote unquote, of getting in there with the winner of Spence Ugas with some real hype because Crawford can't sell on his own. And we get to solve some questions. I would like to see Crawford against Keith Thurman for sure because Bomack himself has said that Thurman would be the one that presents the biggest challenge. I disagree with it, but I do think that Thurman would make it exciting. He would sell the fight. He would hype it. Those pressures would be amazing. Jeez, Broner. Broner would make an amazing presser against Terrence Crawford. Think of all the cracks he's going to go against Bomack. Or maybe we get Broner's dad in there and now you got two fat dudes going in, the, going in there against each other. There's all sorts of opportunity to help Crawford get the notoriety that he doesn't have right now where he can't sell anything. Then you use that notoriety to push for him to fight the winner of Spence Ugas. What many in the hardcore don't understand is that in the business of boxing, what these promoters, they don't care about you. They don't care about the hardcores. They care about the casuals. They care about the people who normally would not buy the events to try to draw them in. The way you do that is withdrawing power. Let's compare numbers. Errol Spence, when he fought Sean Porter, that fight drew over 300,000 people. When Crawford fought that same Sean Porter, barely over 125. What does that tell you? Porter wasn't the draw. It's Spence. Spence fighting somebody who would test him. Crawford needs to fight somebody who would test him. Porter would test him, but then we get the nonsense stoppage, and then there was excuses about the ESPN Plus and all that stuff. The truth is Crawford doesn't draw. Let's get him in there with somebody who can draw so that more eyes are put on Crawford to help sell the narrative that he should be in the ring against Spence and Ugas. And the reason I'm so heated about this, the ring, they have made Spence number two at welterweight. Everybody listening to this knows that's crap. Everybody listening to this knows Errol Spence is the number one guy at welterweight. The man has two belts that he's unified. The man has four top five welterweights that he's beaten. The man has never been dropped or even close to being dropped. Errol Spence Jr. is number one at welterweight period, regardless of what the ring's got to say about it. Why is that a problem? Because when Spence was about to fight Pacquiao, Spence was considered number one. Pacquiao was considered number three. I'm pretty sure it was. 
The Ring came out and said, yep, we're going to make this lineal. We're going to make it for The Ring because it's the number one and number three. And by their own rules, if the number one and number two can't make a fight happen, but number one and three do, we're going to bring back The Ring and make it for The Ring. And then by definition, whoever holds The Ring is considered widely lineal champion. So that was going to be on the line. Spence gets injured. Pacquiao goes to fight Ugas. Spence is still number one at this point. Ugas was not even, I don't even think he was number five when he was about to fight Pacquiao. He was he was ranked, but he wasn't anywhere up there. Ugas washes Pacquiao, retires him from the business. Spence is now in line to fight Ugas. Crawford fights Porter. Kenny Porter stops his son. Crawford didn't stop Sean Porter. Kenny Porter stopped his son. Arguably, Sean Porter was winning that fight leading up to the 10th because for the first six rounds, Crawford was just on the on the defensive. He was trying to counter instead of being aggressive on the attack because he knew he'd get dropped by Sean Porter. So that's fine. But Porter arguably won five of the first rounds. So already he's down on the cards and Crawford was rebuilding. Bomax screaming at him in the corner to not play into Sean Porter's strengths. Crawford calms down. He's able to land the shots that drop Sean Porter. Sean Porter loses focus. Kenny Porter, there's an alternate angle video where somebody's trying to stop Kenny Porter from going up and stopping the fight. Somebody in Sean Porter's corner, Kenny Porter decides to stop the fight because he said, well, sometimes these fighters, they don't do, they think they know what they're doing and they don't want to do what they told. Whatever, the point is, Kenny Porter stopped Sean Porter, not Crawford. Regardless, the ring took that one win against the top five and said, okay, Crawford's number one in the welterweight, knowing it's bullshit because Spence has two belts and he's beaten four top five welterweights. It's not close. So, Fuck the ring for what they did, which took away from both these guys, Spence and Ugas, the opportunity to compete for the ring title and be regarded the initial lineal champion. Fuck them because what they're doing is they're favoring Crawford off one win. And by the way, it was not even Crawford that got that stoppage. It was his dad. And by the way, Spence had, or yeah, Sean Porter had two bad hips going into the fight. Like it's all this nonsense. Spence beat four. Top five welterweights. You can argue that Kelbrook was damaged and all this other crap. Kelbrook was winning that fight before Spence pulled it out. So let's stop that nonsense. With Danny Swift, he was still top five, even though he'd taken losses. He had only ever taken losses to the best in the division. Danny Swift was still top five. Sean Porter was WBC welterweight champion and gave everybody hard work leading up to that. Even Ugas had hard work dealing with Porter. It was close. It wasn't like a dominant win or loss. Errol Spence is the top guy in the welterweight. I don't care what ring has to say about it. Fuck him. I'm not going to regard it. I'm saying he's the top guy in the division. To me, this is the number one and arguably number two at 147 because of who they've been in the ring with. That's the key. It's not the eye test, which is what Crawford is right now. Crawford needs more signature wins. He needs, I say, yes, I'd love to see him against the winner of this, but we got to sell it. We've got to sell it. We've got to make it worth it because here's the problem. Spence is going to want a payday if Spence wins. Ugas will want a payday, but probably not as much. But I would suspect he would demand more money to fight Crawford than he would if he were anybody else. Crawford, we already know what he is. Bob Aaron was tossing $3 million, $4 million at him. I think he made $6 million for Porter. He's going to want major paydays. You can't make that money unless you draw casual fans. That means that they both have to sell. They both have to sell the fight. They both got to do their parts, bringing their two fan bases together. Crawford doesn't have a wide fan base. No matter what top rank was trying to do, and Christina Poncher and everybody else trying to hype him up, it didn't work because he didn't barely sell against Sean Porter. And that's Sean Porter, who's one of the most popular liked fighters in the business. 
even with that, he still couldn't draw a big crowd. So we need to get Crawford in there with somebody who can draw. I know the hardcores don't like the Blair Cobbs of the world, but say what you will about him. He sold that damn fight against Rocha. As a result, people tuned in. Yes, he got his ass kicked. It didn't matter. We need that drama. We need characters. We need people that stand out in the crowd. Spence can stall at the stadium all he cares to. But in order to get the paydays that both guys would need if Spence were to win, we need Crawford to draw a crowd himself. The way we do that, get him in there with Keith once upon a time Thurman. Get him in there with Adrian the problem Broner. That's fine. Boots Ennis ain't gonna move the needle. Boots Ennis, I'll get to him in a second just to chat about it because Van Heerden is the cross. Boots Ennis ain't gonna move the needle. I know that hardcore is like him and all that. He can't start a family dinner worth of nothing. Nobody knows who he is. Let's get him out of the narrative. I'm saying we need somebody who can sell to get Crawford against that can sell the fight and make casuals excited to see the fight in the first place. Then it's Crawford's job to keep those fans following him. Right now, he doesn't have the character. He doesn't want it. And he's talking nonsense about Hodge Moon 154 and ducking Sean Porter on his own. He's not selling that he really wants to smoke. He's just complaining about why he doesn't get Spence when he hasn't earned it. Meanwhile, Spence is pulling 300,000 in the seats every single time. Like it's not close. Spence is the number one. I would argue Ugas is number two because he beat Manny Pacquiao. And for Ring to not even credit Ugas for a dominant win against Manny Pacquiao, who wasn't injured. I mean, we can say uh, actually Ugas was injured in that one. And Ugas doesn't get major credit for that, but you give Crawford credit for something where he didn't even really do it. Okay, whatever. So Spence Ugas, you're going to want to see that fight. Top of the card. The undercard is smashing. So even if you don't like either guy, the undercard is amazing. Let's look at what we got. We got Raza Butea versus Stankonia. I call him Stankonia, Stankonis, but I call him Stankonia. This fight's not going to move the needle exciting, but I think you're, de you're dealing with two guys that are undefeated, two guys that are hungry. The story on this one, I'm pretty sure it was Buteyev. It might have been Stankonia, but one of the two, it might have been Stankonia. One of the two was they were positioning, the WBA was positioning to create this tournament. And as part of the tournament, they were positioning one of the two of them to force them to fight Jordanius Ugas prior to Ugas being able to fight Errol Spence. This pissed a lot of people off because they wanted to see the unification and they didn't think it was fair. And then, of course, with the way that these are going, I think even Jamal James was in the mix. Like they were going to have Jamal James possibly fight Ugas as one of the tournament members, and James already got washed by Ugas. Like it was a silly thing that was going to happen. Whoever it was, and I can't remember who it was, agreed to step aside, and they said, no, we need the unification. This needs to happen. So kudos to whoever that was. I think it was Batev. I'm not sure. Whoever that was, kudos to them for allowing the unification. Now you got two guys that are undefeated. They don't sell on their own, so putting them on the undercard for Spence and Ugas is smart because it puts eyes on these guys. They're international, largely. They don't have a United States presence. They don't have awareness. If I had to guess, I think this is going to be one of the most exciting fights is Batev and Stankonia because I think they're going to be so hungry for being that next guy in line to fight for the unified, especially when you know Spence or Crawford or Ugas, whoever, leaves the division, like Danny Swift's talking leaving the division. Keith is still there, but not. You're like... They're seeing that, okay, there's an opportunity for these young guys, these young upstarts to possibly come in and make some noise. I think those two are going to be hungry. I think they're going to be fighting hard to prove that they're here and that they're worth your time. And what better event than using Spence's notoriety, his star power, to give them some exposure. Kudos on that one. Also in the welterweight, Cody Crowley, who's undefeated, coming out of Canada. He's fighting against Josecito. Josecito Lopez, everybody will remember, 
is the guy that damn near stopped Keith Once Upon a Time Thurman. However, Josecito Lopez is one of those. He's on the decline, clearly. He's a solid fighter. He's a durable fighter. He's there. He's game. Everything else. He's a good test for Crowley. Crowley being undefeated. I don't think Crowley, from my perspective, and this is just me, I don't think Crowley has ever been has ever stepped up to somebody like a Josecito. I think he's been largely protected in who he's fought in the past. That's me. I'm, you know, the biggest one I can think of was Abdukakarov, and Abdukakarov that was a shocker. Don't get me wrong. Abdukakarov at one point was being positioned as the mandatory for IBF for Errol Spence, and people were chatting about Abdukakarov at I test. Crowley washes him. So that would be the biggest thing I see for Crowley is the fact that he was able to do that. But was that really about? Was that really about Crowley, or was that about Abdukakarov? I suspect it was really more about. Abdukakarov not being as good as people positioned him to be and he was like eye test kind of like bully Bechtemir that's my theory and I'm going to stick to it I'm not saying Crowley's not a good fight I'm saying that I suspect that this is going to be a good test for Crowley and where he really is if whether Josecito is going to be able to do to Crowley what he was able to do to Keith once upon a time Thurman in lightweight action Isak Cruz makes his return against Yuri Orkis Gamboa People are trashing this fight just because it's Gamboa. And look, Gamboa is older. This is true. No, he's not the same guy he was in his prime. That's true. No, he's not the same guy that wobbled and bambied Crawford. Yes, that's true. He's still game. He's still there. He's still a fighter and he's a warrior and we should celebrate him. He will be on lifeblood one day. I guarantee you this. The thing with Gamboa, he still has aspirations of being a champion. I think the, the hardest thing with Gamboa Something changed with Castellanos. That was the fight where he quit. And I don't know what it is that went off with him. Maybe he had some personal issues or something else. It seems like he's kind of reinvigorated himself and he's fighting harder, but at the same time, the decline is clear. When he fought Tank Davis, Tank was distracted. He was looking at crap in the in the ringside and he was barely there, leaving himself open. He was barely defending himself and Gamboa wasn't able to capitalize. And then when he fights Haney, like... He had moments, but Gamboa wasn't even there. So class-wise, we know that Gamboa skill-wise would have washed many of these guys in his prime. So we don't know if it's his age or motivation. We don't know. But Gamboa is still a name. He has a following. He has people that support him, and they realize that he's a warrior. He's going to go in there, and he's going to do the best he can, even in loss, similar to what Mayorga was before he retired. I don't think it's fair to trash Gamboa or Isak Cruz for this fight because you're dealing with two guys that are going to try. And I think this is going to be a war. Now, I suspect Isak Cruz, we're going to learn something about him and so on. Because if Isak Cruz, what I expect should happen is Isak Cruz stops Yuri Orcus Gamboa sometime inside nine rounds. I suspect that to be the case. However, what could also happen is that Isak Cruz gets exposed by that same Gamboa if Gamboa is hungry enough and stylistically Cruz does leave himself open to certain shots, like the way his style presents could create opportunities for Gamboa. Its speed's going to be the differentiator. Is Gamboa fast enough to land something? And then if he is, is it going to be something that Cruz doesn't see that takes him deal with him? I don't expect a Gamboa win. I'm saying that we're going to learn a lot about Isak Cruz in this fight. And you know what? They were smart to present Isak Cruz against Tank Davis to give him some exposure, give him some hype, make people excited about him, get the Mexican fans behind him. Because now you're dealing with two guys that have a real strong following in Gamboa and Cruz supporting a card that already has a, a you know, Errol Spence. He has a following. You got Jose Cedar Lopez. He's got a following. You got Cody Crowley. He's got a following. So they position this great. 
They positioned this with guys that already had followings coming in, which should lend itself to higher numbers. That's what Crawford lacks, is the ability to lead a card by himself, but also have a strong undercard with people who have their own followings, which takes a lot of money. And with that money, you've got to be able to draw the casual fans in. This card is going to draw a lot of people in there from various countries. Like this is like one of those world type fight cards. And that's why it's exciting. Francisco Vargas makes his return. I don't know the guy he's fighting, but I know that Francisco Vargas, he's somewhat older. Um, he's kind of, I won't say he's on a steep decline, but he's been declining and they kind of pull him out because he has a good following. He has fans that support him. And you know what? Francisco Vargas, the guy he's fighting, his name is Jose Valenzuela. I've heard the name. The reason I say I don't know the guy is because I've never followed his fights, Jose Valenzuela. I know that the big thing with Francisco Vargas was he had fought Isak Cruz and back in 2021 and he lost to Isak Cruz. I don't think that I don't think that it was a it hurt him to lose that fight. What really hurt Vargas was when he lost to Burchelt, and then of course Burchelt recently got wrecked. I think that was the the Burchelt one was really what hurt Vargas's momentum from where he should have been. Now, the thing with Vargas, I like Vargas as a fighter. I think he's a great fighter and a great person. And this is a good, decent fight. But something tells me that Jose Valenzuela is going to pull out the win on this one. I hope not. And that's not a ding against Valenzuela. I just, I like Vargas. I think he's a good guy. And I just think that he may, he's not a steep decline, but he may be twilight. Uh, where he may be on the lesser parts. Brandon Lee, not to be not to be confused with you know Brandon Lee, the the uh, deceased person, but Brandon Lee fighting at super lightweight. He's in an action coming back against Zach Ochoa. Um, this is also in Texas, by the way, and it's super lightweight. So this is going to give you a sense of guys that if Brandon Lee pulls it out, Zach Ochoa is not a soft touch. So I don't expect that this will be a walk in the park for him. But I do think that. Lee is going to be too much for him. I think Lee is one of those explosive fighters that is going to make a statement again, as he's done before. He's a young guy. He's just at the beginning of his career, in my opinion. I think he's going to easily take care of Zach Ochoa. I think Ochoa, he's he's older, but I don't think that's harmed him. Like, Ochoa's still there and still game, but I don't think Ochoa has enough to keep Lee honest. Like, I don't think he has enough power. I don't think he has enough fight to get Lee off him. I think Lee's going to make this easy, in my opinion. And it's a good signature fight because Brandon Lee has a following of his own, but also does Zach Ochoa. Zach Ochoa has a, somewhat of a fan base. For me, I'm going to definitely pay attention on this one for see where Lee goes. Because remember, if he continues campaigning at 140, you're talking about potentially if Josh Taylor doesn't move up, there's a potential there. Uh, we're talking about Tia Fimo going to 140. There's potential here. Geez, I would love to see Brandon Lee fight somebody like Tia Fimo Lopez because there we would learn a lot about <laughs> Brandon Lee if Brandon Lee can deal with the deal with what's coming from Tia Fimo. Tia Fimo is still fast. He's still dangerous. That kind of fight, that's the kind of explosive fight that we need at 140 if we can have it because 140 kind of gone a little bit stale. So now you're talking a newer crop of fighters who are explosive knockout guys and we could get some really signature fights going on there. So that's our card for Showtime and or Fight TV happening out in the AT&T Stadium out in Arlington, Texas. If you want to check that out, I do recommend you do so. On the flip side, of course, you have on DAZN, Connor Ben is going to be heading up an exciting 
exciting fight, not an exciting card. So the fight, the headline fight with Ben and Van Heeren is going to be the reason that you would dial into this one. Everybody knows who these guys are. But I want to talk about this a little bit more. Connor Ben, he's an upcoming guy. He's a solid fighter. I think he's on the develop, just like with Brandon Lee. I think people are not giving him fair credit because of his matching. The thing is, his matching has been perfect. He's been positioned against guys that we don't expect he can beat easy. And then he beats him easy. So if I go back in time to the guys that he's fought ever so recently, well, who comes to mind? Adrian Granados. Adrian Granados was not a soft touch, period, point blank. We can say he was after the fact. Adrian Granados was always solid. Sean Porter talked about how hard it was that Granados wasn't going anywhere. He just would not, he wouldn't go anywhere. And that's true. He's a solid, durable fighter. We can't dismiss Granados as a durable fighter. Did Ben knock him out? No, he didn't need to. He made a statement in being able to outbox him and show different dimensions of his game. The fight against Algeria, which is most recent back in December for Conor Ben and a stellar knockout, people dismissed because it's Algeria. Algeria's a solid fighter. Manny Pacquiao couldn't knock out Algeria. We can't do that. We can't do that. No, it was a great win for Conor Ben against an opponent that has been a good test for a lot of guys. When he fought Vargas, I believe that was Sammy Vargas, Sammy Vargas stops him in one. Now, that one was controversial because Sammy Vargas was even complaining. It's like, man, that, that was a bullshit stoppage, nonsense stoppage. I felt it was a little bit quick, but I didn't see that Sammy Vargas was going to be able to get out of that fight, frankly. Of course, man bun for Mella. Prior to that, that's the 2020. Connor Ben completely dominates Formella. Couldn't drop him, couldn't knock him out, but that's against Formella. We know Formella's tough. Formella's always been tough. He just is a tough fighter, as Sean Porter learned himself. My point, folks, is that Connor Ben right now is on the build, and they're building him. They're they're matching him very well. They're matching him against guys where it's not like we expect he should win necessarily. Like if I say Sammy Vargas alone, I wouldn't have expected Connor Ben to get even close to what he did against Sammy Vargas. I would not have expected him to get out from Adrian Granados the way he did. People can look at the loss record and say whatever. The truth is, these guys are still solid. They're still tough. And Formella came back from the loss and got a stoppage immediately after this. So we can't go back in time and dismiss people's records after the fact. No, the truth is, Ben's matching has been solid and sound to the point when he gets now to Chris Van Heerden. Chris Van Heerden, the only guy to stop Chris Van Heerden is Errol Spence. And Errol Spence had to work for that stoppage. It wasn't like it came instant. He had to work for it. Van Heerden's solid. He's durable. He's there to be, he's there to test you. And I like that about him. He will be on lifeblood one day because everybody that goes in there against him is tested. He's a sound, sound fighter. So I'm interested to watch this one because I want to know where Connor Ben truly is. Is Connor Ben truly what he appears to be? Van Heerden is going to tell, tell us this. If Ben can stop Van Heerden, even if Ben can outbox Van Heerden, these are major statements to be made. We can criticize Ben's matching all we care to. The matching is perfect. He's fighting the guys that we don't think he should beat, and then he's beating them, and he's beating them convincingly. That's what you that's what you want. Ben's at 147 right now. There's talk he might go to 154, possibly, because he is a pretty big guy, and he does have a little bit of weight to him when he comes fight night. If he stays at welterweight, he becomes a real good candidate for being in the mix for the next class of 147. That's if he chooses to stay at 147. He might not. But if he does, 
Jeez, could you imagine somebody? That I I called it. It's like I would love to see Connor Ben against Sam Eggington or Connor Ben against Virgil Ortiz or Connor Ben against you know Bateev. Like there's all sorts of opportunities. Ben wanted to, to fight Ugas. I don't think that's a good stylistic fight. <laughs> I I don't. I think it's an ugly fight. But I would like to see Ben against uh, Crawford. And Ben can sell. He can sell out an arena. He can sell. He's got a fan base. The problem with the Ben and Crawford is I doubt Crawford would want that fight because I think Crawford, if that fight were to happen, they'd have to do it in the UK because that's where Ben fights. And Crawford has adamantly refused to go overseas because of what happened with Ricky Burns where Ricky Burns took him the distance because the ref kept him honest. So it's too bad because I would love to see Crawford. That would be a great fight to get Crawford more eyes on him is if he was willing to stop ducking overseas, go overseas to the UK, make a statement against Conor Ben. Could you imagine how huge that is? Automatically, everybody would be screaming for a Spence fight next or an Ugas fight next, but he has to be willing to get out of his comfort, and he's not. So we'll see where Ben goes, but the Van Heerden fight that's going to happen tomorrow, it's going to be exciting to watch that one to test. It's really a test of Conor Ben. That's not a ding against Van Heerden. It's a test of Ben because Van Heerden is going to test this man. That's what we got for the weekend, and I'm telling you right now, April's going to be stacked. Just a quick breeze, and I'll get on it when those come. Next weekend, Yoel Diaz Jr., son of Yoel Amastapit Diaz, is coming back uh, next weekend. John Casemiro, Paul Butler, Tyson Fury, Dillian White on the next weekend. Katie Taylor, Amanda Serrano, that's a mega fight for Undisputed. Oscar Valdez and Shakur Stevenson, that's a huge test for Shakur. Canelo Alvarez, the pound-for-pound pound king against Dimitri Bavol, that's happening. Maurice Brady's. Currently the top guy at the cruiserweight division. He's coming coming back for a fight. Jermel Charlo and Brian Castaño, the rematch. It's worth watching. The bizarre return of Sergey Kovalev. Floyd Mayweather and Don Moore is an exhibition that's actually going to happen in Dubai, apparently on a helipad somewhere on top of a building. That's happening in May. So now we're in May. Learaga coming back. David Benavides is coming back. Bubu Andre is coming back. Watsi's coming back. Tank Davis and Raleigh, the grudge match that people are trashing. I think that's going to be an exciting one to watch. Stephen Fulton, Cambosos, and Devin Haney. Now we're in June in Noe and Denaire rematch. Jamel Charlo and Saleki. That one's going to be a good test type fight. Ray Vargas comes back and then Andy Ruiz, who disappointed people, is fighting in July against a guy, Tyrone Spong, instead of Luis Ortiz. We are dealing with a stacked Q2 of 2022 for boxing. Now that the COVID, we're getting past the theater, we're kind of opening things back up, we're seeing some exciting fights. Now, unfortunately, I want to warn you, we're seeing some states start to put in more lockdowns, more mass mandates, and starting to crunch again because of the myth around elevated COVID infection levels and all this. So some of these may get canceled or rescheduled. Let's hope not. Let's hope that things do the right path. But I think any fight that's happening in the U.S., will probably go as planned. But like there's fights like Inoue Denaire is supposed to be Japan. Japan may lock it down again. I'm pretty sure this has already been scheduled once. Uh, Australia, we know they had issues there. Australia, I think they're going to go with this one just because it's a big fight and they've kind of, they kind of put their hat in there to book that. That's Cambosis Haney. Um, the UK seems to be pretty open. Spain seems to be pretty open. Uh, Dubai seems to just want the money. So I think we're okay. Just be aware. Some countries... Most, I would guess it's going to be Australia or Japan where there might be some reschedules or some lockdowns or something else because of the COVID. Anyway, that's our weekend of boxing. I hope you dial in because these are going to be exciting fights. No matter what you say about these guys, fuck the ring, by the way.